There was a piece in the New York Times this week titled, The Psychic Numbing of Mass Tragedies. I immediately knew this was something that resonated. I didn't understand it from the title on an intellectual level, but my soul understood it on a deep level to my very core. Psychic numbing is the scientific name for the detachment we feel over time in the face of mass tragedy. Pandemics, wars, genocides, school shootings. And the more they pile up, the more numb we can feel. Dr. Paul Slovic, who is a University of Oregon psychologist, was the one to name this phenomena. And he gave some scientific explanation in that article. First, when we come across data and numbers, the emotional part of our brain actually shuts off and we become detached from the information. And second, when we face a momentous problem, we feel that we can't make a difference even if we try. The problem seems so large and our actions feel so small. Hopelessness can become overwhelming and lead us to detach. Nadia Boltz-Weber, who is a good, good friend of the cathedral and an occasional preacher here at St. John's, before this week's events even took place, talked about this more in context of the pandemic. And she used an illustration of a fuse box that she had in one of her first apartments right here in Cap Hill when she was young. It was an old fuse box, and it was not designed for modern conveniences like microwave ovens and hair dryers, and definitely was not designed to have anything like that running at the same time. So when overloaded, it would blow a fuse, and it would just shut down. Nothing would work. She went on to say that humans were not designed for the 24-hour news cycle of bad news. Horror after horror from not just down the street, but from across the globe. We were designed to absorb news of our family, of our neighbor, of our village. And we, when we are bombarded with the tragedies of the whole world, we can feel so overwhelmed that we too simply blow a fuse and shut down. Psychic numbing. Friends, I know that the term thoughts and prayers gets a bad rap. I know it has become the suspect and often 
insincere-sounding go-to for politicians and other public figures. And I can't speak for anyone else, but I believe as Christians, I actually believe that it's thoughts and prayers that save us from psychic numbing. If data and statistics shut off the emotional parts of our brain, let us fill our thoughts with the names images and stories of these children. Let us remember in our thoughts these families who are grieving. Our thoughts matter. When we stop thinking about the individual victims, we do become numb. And of course, as Christians, we pray. It's always our first step. We pray for the children. We pray for the teachers. We pray for the families of all of them, for the first responders. And we even pray with God's help for those who are compelled to carry out such senseless violence. And we pray for our leaders, please God, to do what they can to create laws and systems that make this specific kind of unimaginable carnage, please God, impossible. If you are feeling numb, there is little I can think of that will activate you more than to take on the practice of praying the Psalms, truly. When we feel overwhelmed, it is simultaneously comforting and animating to realize that we can tell all of that to God. Our prayers do not have to be sanitized. They do not have to be sweet. For thousands of years, the faithful have been crying out to God in prayers of lament. And when you spend time with the Psalms, you quickly come to realize there is very little that is new under the sun. The world has always felt fallen. The human condition has not changed much. Today's Psalm 97 declares, the Lord is king. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of God's throne. Confounded be all who worship carved images and delight in false gods. Surely that is an age-old warning for today. For all those who give their trust and their allegiance to powers other than our God who are worshiping idols, idols of dominance, vengeance, who worship instruments of destruction.
the psalmist assures us the Lord loves those who hate evil. Several years ago, John Bell, a Scottish minister and hymn writer who was affiliated with Iona, was the keynote speaker at the Colorado clergy gathering. He is a wonderful storyteller and an incredibly wise and engaging speaker. And his lectures during that gathering were based around his then recently published book, Living with the Psalms. Some of the things he shared have stayed with me all this time, and I offer them to you now, hopefully, to give you a texture to this notion and a rethinking of thoughts and prayers, thoughts of suffering and prayers of lament. The Psalms are not some antiquated poetry for a long-ago peoples. They are not removed from our present-day life in Christ. The Psalms, my friend, were Jesus' vocabulary. It is the scripture he knew by heart, what he taught about in the synagogues. It is the scripture he quoted often, including quoting Psalm 22 from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John Bell purports that the Psalms give us too a vocabulary for pain and frustration and anger, for physical and mental anguish, for loneliness, for political and economic oppression. He wonders, do we really think that we are somehow holier than Jesus, that we cannot also speak to God that way? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You wouldn't ask those questions unless you believed someone was listening. The Psalms are full of hard questions, questions asked of a God who is listening, a God who knows that this world is far from perfect, that our hearts break again and again, and that while we continue to have to sit with difficulty, we never sit alone. Today's Psalm 97 is not a psalm of lament. It is actually an enthronement psalm about the majesty and kingship of God. One that confidently assures us that the same God whose glorious throne is hidden by clouds and fire reaches down to care for the upright in heart. The same God who never lets us sit alone. So yes, I think we do believe in thoughts and prayers. It is not an empty sentiment for us. 
we engage this way so that we do not become psychically numb. We think of more than statistics. We think of these precious children of God. And we pray for the grieving. And we pray to God in frustration, in lament, in desperation for a better world. We pray because we know that God is listening and that God is sitting with us in the horror. We never sit alone. And then, my friends, we act. We use this, man this animation, this resistance to numbing, to do our part, whatever it is that you feel called to do, to do our part, to partner with God, to partner with God for that righteousness and justice that are the very foundation of God's throne. Amen.